This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, when they say that you can't lose your job to injury, they would be wrong. History says that's wrong. My question here off the top of Cardinals Underground, can you lose your job to vacation? Paul Calvisi, Darren Herman, Kyle Odegaard, uh, someone in the mailbag, if I saw this correctly, wow, talk about a hit and run, trying to drive a wedge between Darren Urban and Kyle Odegaard <laughs> when Kyle filled in. He filled in on the mailbag, and uh, I'm not sure what the metrics, you know, the readership was, et cetera, but uh, I don't know where the guy was going other than just trying to basically do what Darren did with Kyla Murray and, and pose the multi-sport athlete question, <laughs> just try and stir it up, just try and get something out there and get some clicks. I don't know what it's all about, but you know what? I'm all for it. Pauly podcast? <laughs> I mean, let's just go. What can I do to fan those flames of division between Kyle Odegaard and Darren Urban? So who's the Wally Pip in this vacation scenario? I'm trying <laughs> to figure right. it out. Well, since you're not going to be here next week, Kyle, I'm Uh-oh. guessing it's you. Hey, you know what? Wait uh, till we talk the trash to Paul about Paul in two weeks. <laughs> Actually, that's a great point because on the way out to minicamp, I was talking to none other than, pause for dramatic effect, Kent Summers, the great Kent Summers, who says he does listen to Cardinals Underground. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I better not go on vacation. I'll be like Paul. I'll be Paulie Pip over here if they bring in Kent to Cardinals Underground. So, Kent, you know what? Just remain a listener, not a participant. Capiche? We also have some people in Vienna that are willing to uh, join the podcast, too. So you got got a lot of people listening and ready to join in. So enjoy your vacation, Paul. Until they're podcasting at 3.30 in the morning. That's true. That'll be the time difference is a little stark. Is that where you're going on vacation? Vienna? No, no. (laughs) All expenses paid. No, probably. no. I'm trying to figure out if I can even make it to California. Meantime, I'm talking to one of our colleagues, Dan Nettles, and <laughs> the man who's responsible for Cardinals flight plan in so many ways, and he's booking some backpacking trip around Croatia. Yeah. Wow. And I can't even pull off a trip to California right now. I'm like, dude, do not tell my wife that I can't figure out our vacation when you're booking something like that. That's, that's awesome. That's really um, unnecessary is what it is, to be honest with you. So uh, what was the answer on the whole mailbag thing? And uh, I, there was some sort of, uh, I don't know, analytic. Was this guy like a fan of analytic? Here it is. Here's the <laughs> quote. Kyle fell a bit short of his predicted Pythagorean theorem paragraph response total, but obviously tone can be fluky with high variance. What What does that mean? <laughs> I, I loved it. I think it was just a, a great nod to me and my love for analytics. <laughs> oh, and no. he, he put some oh, of it no. mailbag centric, but it was yeah. it was beautiful. I <laughs> I knew every yeah. what every single word meant in that question and Paul's head is spinning as we speak. Right. Oh, Omo, can we can we clip that? I would like to have that as a sounder. That was a great nod to me uh, that Kyle just said. <laughs> right. what, what is the old uh, John Elway 
Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'd like to thank John Elway. Yeah, uh, that's right. John Fox. I'd like to <laughs> that thank was the John Elway. In fact, where's my Aaron Rodgers T-shirt from last week? I'm offended. <laughs> I, I need my I'm offended T-shirt again here on Cardinals Underground at this rate. Are you kidding me? The, the analytics people are a small group, but we're tight-knit and we stick together. <laughs> I see. By the way, Darren won't stink and answer the question about which guy stood out. So you know what? I'm going to answer the question right now. You ready? Go who was it. the guy who wondered who stood out? And he and, was. He wanted more uh, analysis from those of us who were able to watch all those right, practices, which right. the practices where they were barely doing any, anything, and we <laughs> weren't right. allowed. We weren't allowed to yeah. report past twenty minutes. See. Darren has the good sense to not form an opinion on shorts and shoulder pads and basically warm-up drills. Uh, I don't have that good sense. I'm here to tell you. Zach Allen stood out. Uh, let's see, who else? I'd say Robert Alford shine. Buda Baker, quote, locking stuff down. Eno Benjamin was trying to make a statement. He made a point of running every single drill, even the, the basic remedial warm-up drills. He went full go. Uh, I'd say the three smaller receivers, uh, Rondell Moore, uh, Jojo Ward, last year's Pauly Pigskin breakout player at camp that did not materialize. <laughs> Damn, Mainly, you got a lot out no, of that. No, there were no preseason games last year. No, so no, I'm just saying. My, my epic fail last year doesn't count because no, there were I'm no preseason games. I, I'm just saying you got a lot out of the what we saw. The you know who I thought stood out? Th- thanks for asking. Uh, number 30, <laughs> Andre Bocelli. Not to be confused with the opera singer from Italy, Andrea Bocelli. But Andre Bocelli. On offense. On offense. Because number 30 30 on defense is (laughs) Darquise Denard. And the fact that there are two number 30s probably isn't a good sign as to whether he's going to be able to make the team. Doesn't mean he can't stand out, though, in minicamp. Paul's legit going to say 90 90 breakout candidates, so he's not wrong. Are you just going down the wide receiver depth chart right now? I took some regulars. You you named 90% of the wide receivers on this team. Two of those three guys have no shot. Come on now. I'm out on that limb a little bit. Actually, the the JoJo Ward pick last year was solid. I mean, he was a guy that nobody knew, and he made the practice squad all year. (laughs) You know, to be a dark horse wide receiver candidate. So, Andrea, Andrea, Andre. Andre Bocelli. Bocelli, that's your breakout you, player? That's how, that's how you pronounce it, Andre Bocelli. I'm trying to pick between him and JoJo Ward. Do I stick with JoJo Ward from last year and just let it ride, Calvisi, or do I pick a new player? Well, if it makes you feel better, Andre changed his number to 82 by the time oh, we got to did. minicamp. Okay. And, and I will say, he's a guy, uh, it's interesting, he did stand out to me a little bit, and here's why. Um, at minicamp, um, I noticed that when the wide receivers were working together and even when they started doing some of the on-air throwing to the receivers and tight ends and running backs, they, they kind of do that at the line of scrimmage thing, but they're throwing on-air. I noticed that Andre, and I'm just going to call him Andre because I'm not real sure how to pronounce his last name, um, was able to, was the one kind of giving tips to A.J. Green hmm. over some of the stuff that he was doing in the offense. Now, obviously, A.J. Green – wasn't around a ton for the on-field stuff, and this guy had been around for a chunk of it. So, uh, But I, I did notice that he was helping out A.J. Green trying to understand some of the, the concepts it looked like. By the way, who says there's no hitting in the offseason? Did you guys see Buda Baker and, and the shot at the local dry cleaner? Did you see that one? <laughs> wow. Steve, you're talking about getting cleaned. Um, that was uh, – yeah, what was the uh, it's headline? Like, it's like sports stars are just like us. You're going on Twitter and whining about right. stuff. I mean, uh, I tweeted out, Apple Calvisi, local dry cleaner finds out the hard way what it feels like to be a Seahawks running back and get KO'd by Buda Baker. <laughs> Paul, he, do you have any uh, $1,500 oh, duvet covers at Casa Calvisi? Uh, 
I do not know. Um, that's uh, that is a that is a different world, is it not? When uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like why you're the you, bed costs, you don't right? have to be super careful when you're wearing sunglasses if you get the ten dollar ones from from Target <laughs> as opposed right. to the three hundred dollar right. ones from the the nice ones. If those break or you lose them, then you're in trouble. Not Buddha. There's have not you much. ever steamed your duvet cover? Hey, none none of that language on the podcast. I mean, come on now. <laughs> I mean, because he just wanted it to steam. He didn't want it clean. I, I literally Googled up duvet fifteen hundred dollars and there was one brand are they pretty that was fifteen hundred dollars plus all the other ones were a hundred dollars or so maybe less but there was, it just goes to show that you can charge whatever you want and there's usually somebody who can afford it and and you know duvet covers included apparently well you're not making fifteen hundred dollar duvet covers unless somebody's buying them <laughs> right and if you're making 16 million a year you can afford it so once again, who says the offseason is not hard hitting? Um, just go to Buddha's uh, Twitter timeline to find <laughs> out about the local dry cleaner who got your hold. Put it that way. So with that, uh, what else? Uh, what else do we have here to get rolling on? Well, uh, I mean, as long as we're touching on some uncomfortable topics, I mean, we're not. It's not a dry cleaning situation, mm, but obviously, okay. not great that your first round pick uh, got in trouble for speeding. That's probably not great. No, it was uh, excessive speeding and reckless driving. And I, at first I wondered, is this part of a promotion for the new Fast and Furious 9 that's coming out? And we keep seeing, I mean, you know, you're not Vin Diesel. We don't need any Dom Toretto stunt driving around here. It, it just reminds me of Bruce Arians when they would break for the, the summer. And he was like, the, somebody asked him, I think it was his first offseason. And he was talking about, you know, guys going to Miami Beach and all this stuff. And somebody asked him, well, what was your advice? And he just said, don't get arrested. Yeah, it's pretty good advice. Yeah, I'm like, speeding is not the end of the world, but if he was going 75 and a 35, that's pretty fast. And you just hope it's a little moment of reckoning for him. Just yeah. realize, hey, I got to yeah. not speed and, and you know, kind of keep my head on straight and look forward to a rookie season. That's obviously very important. For you guys him. want my theory? Thanks for asking yet again. You just got an $8 million signing bonus. What are the odds that perhaps he was testing out the limits of his brand new ride? Whatever it might be. And I'm guessing there were a number of zeros after a comma in the price tag on that car. And maybe he's like, hey, uh, check out the limits on this vehicle, except you were on Scottsdale Road in Chaparral. Yeah, better to do on the Autobahn yeah. than yeah. a surface street. I mean, again, it's it's one of those things where we're going to talk a lot, whether it's Zayvon Collins or even Isaiah Simmons in terms of maturing as players. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. Um, there's a lot of people that have gotten speeding tickets in their lives. Uh, and you know, fortunately, if that's all it was, and it's in the middle of the day, we're not talking about other situations that we've heard from other players where they're getting in trouble at two in the morning for other reasons behind being behind the wheel. So I'm just, I agree with Kyle. Hopefully it's a moment of reckoning. I, the little time I've spent around the guy, I do think he's got his head on straight and I do think he's, he's a hard worker. And, and I, I think if, if this is all it would, you know, hopefully this is all it would take. And if it, this is all it would take, this is a good time for it to happen. Just get out of the way and let's be smart. By the way, one footnote on Bruce Arians. I vividly remember doing a post-game interview with B.A. going into the bye week. And my last question was, and coach, going into the bye week, don't be the guy. That's your message, right? And he said, yep, and including me. Thanks, Paul. And he walked away. <laughs> so, That's was, awesome. I'll never forget that. B.A. say, including me. So that wasn't just for the players. That was for the coaching staff. Uh, so, that was good. By the way, if you're online, in a much more positive note, uh, how about the Hale-Murray vying for an ESPY? Yeah. Have you guys looked at the contenders? 
I mean, I don't want to talk trash here. I'm Paul. You know, I mean, and, and Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. But it's not even close. I, I mean, there is one play that stands out. Am I so heavily biased that you I, are I'm completely? Biased. I mean, the buzzer beater in the college basketball game. Come on, that's every single March Madness. What else is up? The uh, the one-handed interception? I mean, come on now. OBJ I, I, I has been there and that done that. that. Yeah. I mean, OBJ has done that. Now, Simone Biles. Okay. The degree of difficulty on the Simone Biles uh, takeoff, landing, and aerobatics in midair. Okay. But she's already raised that bar so incredibly high that she's already accomplished that. There's only one play that's done against someone trying to tear your head off, basically. And there's three of them, three Bills defensive backs. So, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer, and I think that it's going to be Hale Murray's going to be a winner in a landslide. But once again, I have to adjust accordingly for my local bias. But you're right. It is kind of the, the perfect storm of factors on why it would be the fact that it won the game. It's Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins involved, and the level of difficulty of that Hale Murray. I'm not saying – a regular Hail Mary is easy by any means, but a lot of them, they, they go back inside the pocket, throw it up, and a guy catches it, you know, maybe off a bounce or whatever. And this one was like almost an actual throw more so than a Hail Murray where he saw DeAndre Hopkins. It wasn't a total looper. It was kind of on a line, and he threw it to him and a great catch. So I agree. I mean, we probably are biased since we saw it live and cover this team every day, uh, but – yeah, you look at it, and I think it's it's got just as good a chance as anything else to win that award. And you can go vote at it on uh, ESPN.com. And if if you want to find the link, uh, I wrote a blog post about it uh, on Word for the Birds, uh, and that you can just click on it there. And and basically how it's set up now, there was actually 16 plays originally, and he uh, that play already all these plays already won their initial head to head. Now they're head to head. Uh, and I'm not sure who it's uh, what the Hail Mary Hail Murray is going against in the second round, but it's fan vote, and then they'll get to a final four, and then I I don't know if fans pick from the final four if it's it's now then it goes to a mm-hmm. blue ribbon panel or whatever. But. Right. I mean, if you're going to give me a college soccer goal, you know, let's have the guy getting mauled by three defenders while he's trying to kick that ball in the net. I, come on now. I think that's illegal. So. Anyway, uh, here come the soccer fans. Yeah, yeah. Simone Biles was do, did do something that has never been done before. So that's, you know, we have seen Hail Marys before. Yeah. I'm just we, saying. Yeah, We actually saw two in that uh, Cardinals-Packers playoff game yeah. before the Hail Larry, yeah, did we not? That's so, a good point. Yeah, we did see that. Uh, who was the guy who talked to Dennis Gardeck? Uh, show of hands. That would have been me. That would have been you. Okay. Yeah. So uh, how's the knee doing? And just as important, how's the hair? How's how's Gardeck's hair doing? <laughs> the hair's doing fine. He's got it nice and long. And uh, no, I, I think I think Dennis was uh, – he's trying not to be too outwardly – you know, the first thing he said to me is, look, we're trying hard not to put a timetable on it. But when you hear him talk about it, I mean – do I think he's 100% going to be ready for the beginning of training camp? I don't know about that. I would expect him – there's a chance he's going to be on the pup list when we start, but I would expect him to be off the pup list by the time uh, at some point during training camp at, at the rate he seems to be going. Because he injured it week 15 week against 15. the Eagles mid-December. Yes. But he's here's the thing that Dennis Gardeck has going for – and you – your, your knee still has to heal. You still have to rehab. I mean, that doesn't change. But we've come so far. When I first started coming uh, covering this league full-time in 2000, um, 
ACL was still very much a, a scary potential death knell of a career. And even if you were coming back, you didn't know how, how well you'd be able to come back. It was definitely you were a year out. Then it got to be nine months, and it feels like it's, it's getting pared back as we go more and more. And the thing that really struck me with Dennis in terms of his knee is the fact he already tore the ACL in that knee. He tore that ACL. I'm, I'm assuming it was playing a different sport, maybe baseball. I don't know. Uh, but he tore it his, the spring of his senior year of high school. Mm. So he's already been through a rehab on his right knee, fixing the ACL. And he says that helps him a lot because not only did he know what he was going to be doing in terms of rehab, but he is not concerned. You know, so many of these guys that go through uh, ACL the first time, uh, they really struggle coming out of it because they're worried about what it's going to be like. And he feels like since he's already been through it and having to test it and worrying about every little noise you hear or whatever, that he, he's going to be able to handle getting back out there without as much concern as he was the first time. The fact that he's torn the ACL and that knee before, does that impact the probability of a complete recovery? Does that make it any less likely that he'll have a complete recovery? I don't think so. I mean, he certainly doesn't feel that way. I mean, he's, I'm not a medical doctor, nor did I stay at Holiday Inn Express last (laughs) night. So I can't really tell you, but I I, I don't sense that being a problem. Because the whole 93 snaps and seven sacks last year to finish second, I mean, everybody wants to see if he can continue that in 2021. Yeah, and, and when you talk about a guy who isn't going to lose his aggression and the way he plays, I mean, he's a cannonball out there. He's running to everybody. He's going full speed. And if he is tentative at all, that's a huge blow to the type of player Dennis Gardeck is. So I think that's important for him to have that mentality still. But it just seems like the way they're talking about it, I don't know for sure, but it, it certainly feels like one of those clean ACL tears. Like there's different levels to ACL tears when – the MCL is involved in the LCL. And I remember Tyron Matthew, I think, is he shredded all three his second time. And we all saw it. It took him a good two years to bounce back from that, maybe longer. And if Dennis Gardet has the clean one with just the ACL, those you can rebound from quicker. So I think that's important to know. And with them saying that I'm not going to rule – Cliff Kingsbury said I'm not going to rule out him being ready at the start of training camp. So that probably means he's – at least closer than than maybe we think. And like Darren said, if he's on pup to start it, that doesn't mean he would not be able to start the season. There's a different pup for the start of training camp and the start of the season. So if he came back in camp at some point, he could be ready technically for week one. And even if it's special teams and specialized packages, that's a big deal to that defense. One of the things I really found interesting, and Dennis kind of talked about this himself. You know, I was asking him about how – if it really kind of let him down that he was having such a great year and then to have it end that way. And he basically was like, no, it doesn't change that. I, I feel like I had a really good year there. I didn't do anything wrong. I just got hurt. I thought he had a really good attitude about that. The other part about it is in terms of what he was able to accomplish. And you already mentioned the seven sacks and 93 defensive snaps. He's very modest about that. I found like he, he was like, Uh, you know, he was kind of downplaying a little bit, like it's such a small sample size and I get to be out there only when we know these guys are going to pass. Like he was, that's right. He he was trying to downplay it rather than I was this superstar. And the the interesting part was he always, he said he always kind of thought he was in a good place at practice. And then he's like, but maybe I don't know. I got to trust the coaches. I got to trust the process. Sorry, Sixers. Uh, In terms of like, 
you know, maybe it's that much so much harder in the games. That's why they're not putting me out there on defense. He, he's very yeah. he's very modest when it comes to all that. You're right. A, he wasn't bitter about not getting any no. defensive snaps before he busted out this past year. No. Uh, it was only in an absolute emergency situation against the Jets where they had no other choice, basically, than to put him out there. Even Cliff Kingsbury said that he would, in camp situations and other times when it was full go, they couldn't block him. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Is that because he's going against the scout team or what exactly? No one could. So they found out. So A, he's not bitter. But you're right. He's so he has such self-awareness. He When he told you he was only out there on passing downs, you're almost like, yeah, but you know what? Other pass rushers have only been situational, like a Dwight Freeney. And Dwight Freeney didn't have seven sacks and only 93 snaps. I mean, his rate of productivity is absurd. It, it was absurd, but you understand that it's certainly an aberration. Like Regression he's not, to the mean yeah. is what Kyle's about to yeah. say. He's, he's not going to come out here and get seven, seven sacks in – 250 snaps next yeah. year. I mean, there's going to be regression. And the big thing is it, it doesn't matter if he regresses because we all know he's going to regress. But can he get the consistent pressure, especially now that people are keeping an eye on him? Because, yeah, Dwight Freeney did it in specialized packages later in his career, but people were still worried about Dwight Freeney when Dennis Gardeck in these packages was like the fourth or fifth most feared guy on that defensive line or on that blitz and teams were giving him one-on-one coverage or one-on-one protection against so I think Dennis Gardeck has a big season ahead of him this year and you know probably next year too where can he show that yeah I'm a legitimate pass rusher in the NFL because he was an undrafted guy he's smaller than most pass rushers I mean there are certain things that worked against him before which is why it took him three years to get his shot and now he has to stack it I think where even this year you're probably thinking he's a backup outside linebacker and even if he didn't tear his ACL would he have been a starting outside backer this season even despite the production probably not so now if he does it two straight years when everybody knows who he is and they're now saying we got to watch out for this pass rusher even if it isn't sacks, but if he is consistently beating his man and getting pressure like he did last year at the end when people knew who he was, I think that's a, a huge bump to his career. And then he's going to be a guy who who makes a decent amount of money on his next yeah. contract. I was just going to say, if there's another reason he has a positive frame of mind, it's because guess what? He got paid in the offseason. Yeah, it was a one-year tender, but it's $2 million plus for a guy who was at Sioux Falls and went that route. To yeah, get that a, sort of payday? A second-round tender, too, and they could have just given him the original round like they did Ezekiel Turner, but obviously the Cardinals, despite the ACL tear, were worried that if they just slapped that original round tender on him, somebody might have come in and signed him. So obviously sure. he, his, his stock is high. He's got value. Now it's just putting another season out there and showing that on tape, hey, I can do this consistently. I, I mean, that's – how much other teams covet a pass rush. Right. Someone yeah. would have snagged him if there wasn't a second-round tender. I, I totally agree with you on that one. In fact, speaking of pass rush, it zoom out. You also had an article about the Cardinals' defense, Kyle, if I saw that correctly, right? I found it intriguing that the Cardinals have the fifth most money in the NFL under the cap allocated to the defense, nearly $105 million. Yeah, and it's funny because we always talk about Kyler Murray's rookie deal, and it and it feels like we always associate that with the offense and what it does for the offense, having a quarterback on a, a low low cap hit. But 
it affects the entire team and it allows Steve Kime to keep adding players on both sides of the ball. And we've seen it. J.J. Watt, Chandler Jones, Buda Baker, all these guys are making big time money and they're willing to spend that money. Jordan Phillips is another guy who is making yep. a, a big, big amount of money. So they've put money there. They put resources with Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins and some lower round picks like this isn't an our offense is going to decide what our team does. I think it's it's a lot more balanced than people think, especially from the outside. They they see Cliff and they see Kyler and they think how the offense go determines what this team does. But if you believe in football outsiders DVOA like I do, the defense was much better than the offense last year for the Cardinals. The defense is the one that carried this team and they were a little bit too up and down they had some games where they struggled and had some games where they were great I think they need to be more balanced this year but overall the, the metrics say the defense was better than the offense and with all that money and the resources I think the defense is going to be better than the offense again once again they finished number 12 last year and points allowed per game and then in your football outsiders defensive efficiency ratings that you cited it was a top 10 defensive unit 6.6 percent Better than the average, hashtag no math. Here's the thing. They still, though, for all that, finished in the bottom third in run defense. And I know we put on the gloves and we can duke it out about whether run defense matters as much as it used to. But it does devance Joseph. When we had him on the Big Red Rage, he cited that himself. And he still thinks it starts with stopping the run. So you would think that the addition of a J.J. Watt, I think one of the unheralded aspects of signing J.J. Watt is he had the most tackles for loss against the run in the NFL a year ago. If Jordan Phillips is healthy, I mean, there's a big run-stuffing defensive lineman. And then if you have Zayvon Collins at 260, able to be a little more stout at the point, and Isaiah Simmons is truly going sideline to sideline, I definitely like the prospect of that front seven being a little more effective against the run than it was a year ago when at times it was a liability. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons they made these moves. That's one of the reasons they wanted J.J. Watt is because although he lined up probably outside a little bit more often for Houston, I think the idea is that for this team he's going to be an interior-type defensive lineman and to help in that regard. And, and who knows, you, everybody's going to be watching Dennis Gardick, so now J.J. Watt gets one-on-one coverage. So <laughs> That's right. One-on-one blocking. All I, eyes are on the hair. I, I think ultimately um, that was something that they wanted to get better at. I mean, we've talked a million times about Collins and Simmons and, and where they're trying to get to with that uh, inside linebacker core, but I think the defensive line, somebody said in, again in the mailbag, they were asking, I think off based off of your guys' debate this about the the position the most improved position the position group that would show the most improvement this year yeah and for obviously the receiver room see i i'm go i went with the defensive line Mm. because i feel like with adding jj watt assuming jordan phillips and this is assumption but assuming jordan phillips stays healthy and wants to uh and and wants to kind of get back to where he was why they signed him as a free agent and i'm a believer right now in in Richard Lawrence and and Fotu in terms of becoming I don't I'm not going to say they're going to be stars but I'm a believer that they can become solid rotation players and that doesn't even count Zach Allen without without Corey Peters and with Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons in experience I I wonder if they're going to be more vulnerable to the run this year but I don't think it matters that much I like you said, I don't really care about run defense very much. I don't think the difference between the best run defense and the worst to me is is so much less than the best pass defense and the worst. So I, I think 
the the play of this defense is going to come down to the health of J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones and their productivity in pass rushing, and then the defensive backs. If if yeah. Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker stay healthy, and if those corners can give you average corner play, then I think this defense is going to be very good. And I, I'm not. I wouldn't be too worried about whether I'm giving up. 4.5 yards per carrier or 4.1. I think no matter how that shakes out, it's not going to make or break you. I, I just don't put too much stock in the run defense. I think it's going to be about the pass rush and, and that pass defense in the, in the back end. Don't forget about my point a week ago on Cardinals oh, Underground. We never forget about anything. We've moved on. The run defense from this cornerback group. Don't forget about the hard tackling Malcolm Butler, 100-plus tackles Robert Alford will fight you. He's physical, will come out with run force. Byron Murphy, who will hit you. It's going to be the best run-stuffing group of corners in the NFL. Don't forget about that. I would never forget that. Paul's and, and, doing like the money ball uh, and, of, of NFL cornerbacks that can stop and the Let's not run. forget my rebuttal to that, which is that's lovely, but if your defensive backs are known better for their run <laughs> yeah. defense, you got a problem. Yeah, and especially if they're actually catching the ball first and then you're tackling them, and that's how you're piling up all those tackles. That is a serious concern, so it's how you go about accumulating those tackles. That does matter. Uh, by the way, I just say going back to our original point, out of the mailbag, uh, how guys looked in shorts. Uh, I would say Rashard Lawrence also looked pretty darn good in some of those drills as well. So I'll throw that out there, utterly worthless. But uh, it is sort of my segue when we talk about the trenches and the offensive line. Wasn't there a mailbag about how the O-line handled the pressure with Kyler? Not mailbag. It was a fine Kyle uh, blog post. Oh, the next-gen stats. That's right. You should have known, Paul. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I saw the next-gen stats as oh, well. Oh, yeah, I in saw fact, it off of you. That's yeah, right. That's right. I saw oh, your tweet. Oh, no. Funny how that works. So that column and article comes off the heels of a Calvisi retweet that's of right. next-gen stats. And I here it goes. The question was, Analytics which, Calvisi. which NFL <laughs> offensive lines were the best and worst at limiting pressure in 2020? That was a question. Pauly number cruncher. And here's where they lose me. When they say, as an ad pops up on my phone, as they say, using survival analysis. Let me say that again because I can't even say it. Using survival analysis, like we if can you're estimate stuck in the jungle or something. The what? likelihood a QB will be hurried within three seconds of a drop back to control for time to throw. I am so sorry. Look, why are you retweeting stuff you don't believe in? I mean, what what is this? What is survival analysis? And how can you I'm, use it to estimate the likelihood a quarterback will be hurried within three seconds of a drop back to control for time to throw? I, I'm picturing uh, Kyler Murray in just a loincloth in the middle of the <laughs> I mean, in, in the middle of the desert right. trying to find water. So they're basically saying the standard pressure stats is if a quarterback gets pressured, and that's with it. I mean, if you hold the ball for seven seconds or two, I think pressure is pressure. Like you're if you're if the guy comes at you, even if you've been sitting in the in the pocket and make it a ham sandwich and just scanning the field, that's still a pressure rate. So they normalize it based on three seconds. And I'd assume what they're saying is even if you get the ball off in 2.8 seconds, they can kind of tell the trajectory of the players based on this data and say whether a guy would have pressured you at that three second mark. And that that's my guess. I mean, I don't know exactly for sure, but I, I think it's valuable. I think it says that, the Cardinals, as much as people were questioning their offensive line last year, a lot of metrics say the Cardinals' pass protection was among the best in the NFL. In fact, this metric does say the Cardinals were number one with a 7.2% hurry probability. The Browns were number two. The Chiefs had the third best offensive line when it came to pass protection. 
Saints number four, Packers number five. And the one caveat I would say is our team's mush rushing, our team's not sending a bunch of guys because they're afraid of Kyler's mobility. So these numbers might be skewed toward mobile quarterbacks where teams aren't going to be rushing them as hard as they do stationary quarterbacks. And I think that probably helps the numbers for the offensive line. But there were a lot of times last season when Kyler Murray dropped back and he had a good pocket. I think it was definitely a strength of this team last season, especially from what we've seen in the past. I mean, Carson Palmer a lot of the time was under more pressure than Kyler Murray was last year. So whether it's the threat of his legs or whether it was just purely the blocking, I think they did a nice job. And now you add Rodney Hudson to it, taking away the weakest link of that offensive line last year Mm -hmm. and the interior pressure. I think clearly this could be a top five pass protection group. It is funny because it feels like it doesn't matter what year it is or what happens. The narrative, especially nationally, when people look at this team is, oh, they didn't do anything to help the offensive line. The offensive line is not good, all this stuff. And I, I agree with Kyle. I mean, I I think it's a combination of things. I think it, you're helped by having Kyler Murray back there as opposed to Carson Palmer, let's say, uh, in terms of mobility. But I, I do think they did a fairly decent job last year. Were they great? No. Could they have been a better run-blocking team? I think they could have been a better run-blocking team. But um, – I, I did I did think that they were better than adequate. And I, I don't completely understand everybody always saying, well, that's such a weak link or the or the fans yeah. are getting really angry at them. If that's still a narrative, they're two years behind. Yeah, honestly, if they're still saying if the national narrative out there is that the Cardinals O line is still a liability, then they've been wrong for two years. It, it, that is that is so outdated and inaccurate. Yeah, I, at I this mean, point, I think clearly the offensive line as a group was better than the wide receiver group last year. Was better than the tight ends. Was probably better than the running backs. Like I think either the quarterback or the offensive line was your strongest group last season on offense. I mean, the ESPN pass block win rate had him as a top three offensive line, right? Right. Okay. So the new question this year is, can they handle all the props and praise? That's really the question. Not all the haters and all the doubters and everyone dismissing the Cardinals offensive line. The real question is, hey, DJ Humphreys, Justin Pugh and company, can you handle all the accolades at this point and start, you better not start smelling yourself, as you like to say, it, DJ Humphreys. Is it is it really accolades? I mean, facts are facts, Paul. I mean, <laughs> right. we're, we're not, we're right. not piling. Right. Because survival analysis with a hurry probability is about as close to a fact as you're going to get it's not a projection no absolutely not it's not extrapolating the numbers it's a hard fact it was almost like when the suns entered the playoffs and people are like are they going to be able to handle being good and are they they don't have any playoff experience and are they smelling themselves oh wait the suns are just a talented team and now they're doing well and if the cardinals offensive line is talented whether people say yes they're good or not they're going to do good Leadership or not. Yeah. By the way, is any surprise the bottom five worst offensive lines last year, the Giants. <laughs> we all saw the Giants. Hassan Reddick uh, saw the Giants. Oh, boy. So Dennis Gardick. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, which actually I was kind of surprised by that. The next three, not at all. Dallas, horrendous offensive line. A lot of bad injuries last injuries, year. Yeah. Patriots offensive line. We saw that. Nothing to write home about. And then the Bengals, uh, i.e. Joe Burrow and what happened to him well, and the beatdown he took all year. And I'm not surprised about the Dolphins because you had Tua back there most of the year. Yeah. And and rookie quarterbacks yeah. tend to make their offensive lines look even worse than maybe they already are in the first place. All right, I got something for you out of left field. Just my own uh, my only, my own Pauly power poll. You ready? Because we can't have a podcast in June without a power poll. <laughs> 
I want you guys to rate the left tackles in the NFC West. DJ Humphreys, Trent Williams, Dwayne Brown of Seattle, mm. Andrew Whitworth, who will wow. turn 40 in December. It's not a bad group. For the Rams. <laughs> yeah, really. That's I really want nice a ranking, Darren <laughs> Urban, of the left tackles in the NFC West. Go. Hump is going to kill me on this one. I'm going to go uh, right now with where they are in their careers. I'm going to go. I think Trent Williams is still very, very good, and I think he showed that last year. Agreed. I put Hump second. I would probably put. I probably put Brown third right now, Whitworth fourth. But I mean, those two guys are interchangeable, and they're still very, very good. I know Dwayne Brown right now is looking for a new deal. Whitworth was on the precipice of retiring and decided to stick around. Um, I mean, I think I, did, I think DJ Humphreys had a, a very, very nice year last year. I think he's totally underrated. And, and because of their collapse, I think he lost out on some attention. Um, but I think Trent Williams right now is playing really, really good football. So, Kyle, you want to weigh in or disagree? Does, no, is your middle initial D for disagree today? Just barely. I, I, that's almost exactly what I would have said. I'd say Trent Williams one, Dwayne Brown two, Humphreys three. And you feel bad putting Whitworth fourth, yeah, but he, he's a good left tackle. But just because of the age. Um, and, it, and if DJ Humphreys has a season like he did last year, He's he's legitimately a, a top five, top seven left tackle in the NFL, and he's going to get some big time money yeah. pretty soon if he does that. So it's just a matter of stacking one more year, like the Gardet conversation. DJ Humphreys did absolutely everything right last season, and his PFF numbers were off the chain. And you asked Cliff Kingsbury about him, and he praised him so much. It, everything DJ Humphreys did last season was phenomenal, and now it's saying. Can you do it twice and show that you're truly elite by putting those back-to-back -back seasons together? Big money pretty soon. He's making $15 million a year. At left tackle, big, what, big money. What is the big, big money at left tackle? North, That's a nice question. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah, I always had that moment. I mean, he's got a couple years to go, but. Sitting next to DJ Humphreys doing the Big Red Rage for those couple of years, I had that moment of clarity a couple of times after he got paid. I'm like, yeah, the guy next to me is making $15 million per year. Don't think about it, Calvisi. Don't think about it. Let's he, just keep going. He, he was a bargain last year. I think it's 14 <laughs> a year. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's, for, that's really good savings for a, a left tackle. By the way, speaking to the Suns, do we need to talk about the vaccine at all? Do we need to mention <laughs> – is this a moment where we cite Chris Paul and then wonder how that might work into the fabric of the NFL season, if at all? Protocols, is there any sort of lesson to be learned at this moment? What is your expectation? I, I, just, I just hope the fact that Chris Paul uh, reportedly testing positive after being vaccinated, and I'm not sure if that's a fact that he's vaccinated and that he did test positive, if either of those have actually been uh, confirmed, but that seems like that's kind of the story. I just hopefully that doesn't change people's minds that are looking at getting vaccinated because I think we see the overall stats of vaccinations and how much it's decreasing the frequency of COVID-19 and decreasing the effects of COVID-19. So I think in aggregate, it's a big help. And the more players that get vaccinated, the easier it's going to be on their teams. And But it, it still it just says that even if you're vaccinated, there's still a chance you can still get COVID-19, obviously. But I think it's been shown with the information that it's going down steadily, and that's because the vaccination rate is going up. The reality is, is, is nothing. nobody ever said the vaccine was going to be 100% effective in stopping it. It was going to drive it way down, and that's that's like with anything. And, and I think it's a little disingenuous to argue about, well, 
people with the vaccine are getting COVID. I mean, yeah, that was going to happen. And some of them are more high profile. We What we do know is that, you know, Cliff Kingsbury came out and said that, you know, he, they've, quote, overeducated the players and on uh, the Cardinals uh, in terms of what the vaccine is. And, and hopefully they, they make the decision to get vaccinated. And if they don't, they don't. Um, there was a big stories this week about Cole Beasley, the the Bills wide receiver who has made it very clear he's never getting vaccinated. And I, I disagree with his stance. I think everybody should get vaccinated. Uh, if you don't want to, that's fine. I know in the NFL, though, um, the reality is if you don't get vaccinated, you have a very strict set of rules you're going to have to live by. And and to me, that's if that's your choice, that's fine. But then that is also your choice. You have to live by the rules. You don't get to, to me, you don't get to say, well, it's my choice to not do this and then get really mad that there are rules. I mean, when NFL camps open, it's going to be very obvious immediately who's vaccinated and who is not, correct? Just based on the rules that the unvaccinated players are going to have to follow, including wearing masks and other social distancing measures. And, and it's going to be apparent just from watching some of these practices. Well, see, I don't I don't know about the practices themselves. I mean, I do think the rule will continue, which it was in place last year where if you were on the field, you didn't have to wear a mask. So I don't know if it's going to be apparent when you're necessarily on the field. Now, if you're seeing stuff behind the scenes, if you're seeing some interviews or you're seeing players around the hotel or whatever, yeah, you're going to be able to tell. And, and again, some of these rules are going to be impactful as you go down the road. I mean, if you go on a road trip you're, and you're unvaccinated, you're not going to be able to leave the hotel. And if you are vaccinated, you can. And uh, I don't know if you can necessarily sit in meeting rooms if you're not vaccinated. You're going to have to do it by virtual. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely – the NFL has definitely set it up so that if you do get vaccinated, there are major uh, advantages to it and – We'll see where everybody stands. It's interesting you bring up the Chris Paul thing because I, I know, uh, you know, I, I know that he's still having to sit out even though he was vaccinated. But again, when you see something like that happen or you see the John uh, Rom thing where, uh, you know, he obviously he just won the U.S. Open. But a couple of weeks ago where he's playing in that tournament, golf tournament, and he's leading and he's going to win a million and a half dollars and he has to leave it all on the table because he hadn't been vaccinated and those were the rules. I mean, if you're a player and I mean, if you're the Bills and you are hoping Cole Beasley plays in this really important game against the Patriots this coming weekend and he tests positive and he's never been vaccinated, so maybe he could have made sure he didn't. And now he has to sit out that game against the Patriots. I mean, are you... If you're a teammate, are you happy about that? If you're a fan, are you happy about that? If you're Cole Beasley, are you happy about that? Have there been reports that Chris Paul is asymptomatic? Because if he was, wouldn't they share that? Wouldn't they have said that right from the beginning, that he's not experiencing any symptoms? And could the reason that he's still ruled out is because he has been experiencing symptoms after testing positive? Well, the the the, the problem with the NBA rules that I've been able to tell is that the the – the symptoms only go so far in terms of helping you. You can't come back unless you've had two negative tests in a row. Uh, and then you still have to go through two days of cardiac testing. And I think part of the reason they're keeping it so close to the vest is privacy. But the other part is if you're the sons, you want to keep the Clippers guessing the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And God knows we've seen enough about that in the NFL in terms of, you know, keeping things close to the vest when it comes to injuries. 
So last we left you here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, our theory on, on Larry was, you know, and the Suns was we should have known, based on Larry, that he only buys low and sells high. So we should have seen this Suns run in the postseason coming a mile away as soon as Larry bought in as a minority owner. And, and, and now maybe just maybe – the Suns are one of the reasons we're not hearing anything from Larry yet. So the longer the Suns' run continues, the less we hear from Larry on the football front. There's one working theory out there. But for something new that I'm going to throw out there, guys, because it wouldn't be a podcast without a new Fitz theory. We appreciate Did you see you Eli Manning's new gig where the Giants tweeted out, quote, Eli Manning is back home. He's rejoined the organization in a business ops and fan engagement role, plus – We've set the date for the Jersey retirement and Ring of Honor. Larry and Eli have been tied together in their careers pretty much every step of the way, from the 2004 draft to the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, where they were co-winners back in 17. I know it was in Houston for the Super Bowl, and we covered it that night. Wait a minute. Are you saying Eli is going to hire Larry Fitzgerald for a job in the Giants front office? What I'm saying is could that serve as a blueprint for the Big Red? Could the Big Blue print serve for the Big Red, where Larry replicates what Eli is doing, and all of a sudden Larry is signing a contract to be part of the business operations we know his aspirations in business after he is done. He's already on the board of directors for Dick's Sporting Goods and a bunch of other ventures he's got out there. And Larry, before either one of you, gets his own office around here. How about that? I'm going to say no because they'll never pay him enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a good point yeah you're right he doesn't really need some sort of uh figurehead type position does he i just want to know when you began your fits theories months and months ago did you think it was going to last this long no and like, every, every monday are you sitting there like oh Google, crap i gotta google larry one. fitzgerald and trying to figure out your your latest theory obviously i i've been forced to scrape the bottom of the barrel here just to make this sustainable <laughs> week after week i mean somebody needs to larry feel my pain around here to have to sustain this are you kidding me you 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 have to be right yeah. now i mean you've said literally every single yeah, possibility twice no, you're right by the way, the other one, do you see uh, the new Madden cover, right? It's a dual athlete cover with yeah. uh, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Do you guys know the last time that happened? Larry Fitzgerald and Troy Palomar. There Palomo. you go. Yeah. So let, me, as, let me ask you this as question. Stephen Colbert says, a great American philosopher, you know what that means. Probably something. I will I will say this, and I probably shouldn't be spoiling this. I probably should tell you this off air, and you can use it next week, Paul, but oh, no. I'm going to steal it for myself. Okay. You know, when I went back to uh, Larry's Minnesota house in 2000, <laughs> yeah, I, I did just do that to you, Paul. There's a flex. Um, when I went back to his house in 2012, I think it was, um, and we did the an interview out there in his backyard, he told me one of the things he his, was on his bucket list. To play for the Vikings. No. To go into space. <laughs> so maybe he's waiting to be able to make this announcement I when see. he's in space. That would be epic. Okay. He could go in there with Elon or, or no, it's uh, Bezos. Bezos. Yeah. Well, either one. Now, look, Larry has all the money he'll ever need for about 20 lifetimes, but does he have Bezos money? What is Bezos paying again Not for yet. his trip to space? I mean, you know, I don't even know if he could he could afford a seat next to Bezos. That would be the epic retirement announcement, yeah. though. I like yeah. that. Yeah, that's, uh, have a sign. Oh, my God. I can't talk long, guys. Right. We're yeah. orbiting the moon, but I just yeah. want to tell you I'm retired. Mm-hmm. You know, there is breaking activity on Twitter as we record Cardinals Underground with Larry Fitzgerald Ooh. reacting oh. to a Cardinals <laughs> tweet okay and that tweet uh was celebrating kurt warner's birthday which 
as we record this. What day is it today? Tuesday. Tuesday. Oh, the five-letter F word, 50. Yeah, and uh, they posted the video of Larry tackling Kurt uh, before the, uh, yeah. I think it was a Sunday night game at State Farm Stadium, and Larry replied to it and said, hands down the easiest tackle I have ever made, LOL. And then I replied to it with the video of him tackling Wolf and said, ahem. So I think that one was a little bit easier. Uh, so maybe he's going to play defensive back next season. Well, there it is. Yeah, but Wolf's got like 100 pounds on Kurt. You know, just, I mean, you know, it's, uh, Kurt goes down. Uh, if they're both sitting ducks, right? You know, I yeah, mean. Yeah, uh, it's possible. But, Big uh, tree, fall hard. Yeah, I guess. Um, by the way, uh, my segue into the uh, Cardinals receiver room, uh, Rondale Moore. Do you see some of the analytics? Uh, Cynthia Friedland, is that who it is? NFL.com. And uh, does a lot of numbers-based analysis. The question was, which NFL rookie receiver will be most productive in 2021? Here's my analytics-based top seven. And uh, number seven was Rondale Moore. Yeah, I think I think the big question is target share, his rookie season. I think he, he matches himself out well for this offense. I think what he does after the catch is valuable to this offense. My question is, will he be on the field enough? I mean, when they go 11 personnel, you wouldn't think Rondell Moore would be in that group because Christian Kirk is ahead of him in the slot. So how much do they go 10 personnel? But I tell you what, if he if he plays well early and has some breakout moments in the first three or four games, I think he might force himself out there and maybe a dark horse rookie of the year type candidate. Usually it's a quarterback, but I think he can get himself in that mix. I'm so glad you mentioned how often do the Cardinals go 10 personnel? Uh, because when I was searching for something else, I stumbled into this one. So next-gen stats credits the Cardinals with us- utilizing 10 personnel, one running back, zero tight ends, four wide receivers, on 20.3% of the snaps last year. That's the highest figure in the NFL. Next closest would be Buffalo at 14.5%, and I don't think anybody else was double figures. Yeah, and – there's the delineation of you're not in 10 personnel because of Dan Arnold, although he was kind of a glorified wide receiver. Yeah. Yep. So if if you add in those sets where he's in the slot, even though he's a tight end, how high does that percentage go? And even if they just match that next season with Rondale Moore, maybe they are in 10, 10 personnel 30% of the time. That, that to me is one of the more interesting things to watch early in the season. Like, Does Cliff Kingsbury think – that 10 personnel is still the way to go if he's got four elite or legitimate wide receivers. And with the way the tight end room looks right now, I would expect it, but we'll have to see. And once again, if they're in 10 personnel 30% of the time, that is way ahead of the norm in the NFL. That's, oh, yeah. that's number one by a country mile oh, yeah. when it yeah. comes to that personnel group. It's probably like Well, they're already ahead as a country uh, in a country yeah. mile yeah. as it is. Here's what was interesting. So, Darren, remember we saw the stat about Rondell Moore in college, especially I think it was 2018 in particular, where he made tacklers miss at a rate not seen in 20 years. Okay, all right. So now here's what Cynthia Freeland cites. Rondell Moore maintained his speed after contact on inside routes at the highest rate of any receiver in D1. So now you're telling me that he's making guys miss at a historic rate. But he's also maintaining his speed after contact on inside routes. At five foot seven. It, and at five seven, yeah. and he squats 600 plus, I mean, we probably shouldn't be shocked by that, that he stays on his feet. 
And, you know, he has that low center of gravity. and Intriguing it, player, man. So, yeah, that's really – it really makes you wonder, okay, if he's making guys miss and he can get past the initial tackle or that first contact, he doesn't go down on first contact. I mean, his initials are going to be YAC, yards after catch. Just get him the ball. I, I Obviously, that's I think that's the plan. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that he was so – uh, highly regarded by this team was because of the they, those exact things. Hey, we're just going to want to get him the ball in some space and and have him do some make some plays because he has proven those things. But again, we need to see how that plays out. I mean, I hear all the good things and I don't disagree with them. But at the same time, we as we go further and further into it, when you talk about how great all these things sound, and it's like, well, then why wasn't he a first-round pick? And I know Rondale feels he should have been a first-round pick. And and maybe they hit gold. I mean, Buda Baker wasn't a first-round pick either, and he obviously deserved to be one. So hopefully that's what happens here. And he had injury plague 2019 and 2020. Yeah, it might be in that sweet spot of you can see why he wasn't a first-round pick, but you can see how he could have – first round talent and type production where I think Buda Baker is a great comparison where he wasn't a first rounder because of probably the 40 time and the size. And that's why Buda Baker didn't go where those guys went because he didn't have the perfect measurables. And like you said, the injuries and the height for Rondale Moore are the two dings against him. But from a pure playing style and production standpoint, I think he can be uh, one of those game breaking receivers and, you know, that's big talk for somebody who's never played and we haven't seen much of, but I, I'm super intrigued by Rondell Moore. You guys might bring in Ken Summers to replace me after I offer up the following, but I, I do have a nickname for Rondell Moore oh, that, that's that's in the works. I'd probably be well served to not offer this till after vacation and try and think it over with some clarity, but do you guys remember the kid's toy back in the day? And I do mean hit the rewind button here. The Weeble Wobbles. Yeah, Remember so the Weeble I had, Wobbles? I had Weeble Wobbles. They weeble, but they don't, don't wobble. Yeah, or no, yeah. they wobble, but they don't fall <laughs> down. Weebles wobble, it? but they don't fall down. There Come you on, go, man. Darren. Well done. Yes. It's a two-man game. I had Weeble Wobbles. That'd be a heck of a nickname for Rondale Moore. Uh, the Weeble Wobble. Something tells me that, A, Rondale would not like it. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit when yeah. I went up to LaRod Stevens Howling, and I'm like, so, you know, I've been calling you the hyphen. Everybody, call, and I said, "What do you think?" And he kind of looked at me like, and he was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, not my first but, choice." But if but. it's coming from a fellow Dominion of American, then you know it's coming from the heart and it's coming from the right place. The whole weeble wobble thing, you know. I mean, he doesn't go down. I am going to lay a lot of money, hypothetically, of course, that if you told Rondell Moore you're going to start calling him weeble wobble, he would hate that more than Larry might hate Japanese fighting fish. It's just going to be mass confusion because he's obviously never heard of a Weeble Wobble and he's not going to know what you're talking <laughs> right. about. I assume you've never yeah. heard of the Weeble Wobble. <laughs> no. Come on. They were you've never heard awesome. of it? No. Oh, that's, wow. Okay. Which means Rondell Moore certainly is not. <laughs> mm. I had Weeble Wobbles if anyone cares. <laughs> Thank you, Holmes. Thank I mean, you. Go that ahead ma- and that try makes it. me feel better over here. That's uh, okay. Well, there goes look, Weeble Wobble. I'm trying. I'm trying to redeem myself after I, Andy, in the whole slot receiver thing. And so that uh, one was that, money. Yeah, that, that wasn't uh, your you know, fault. Uh, Weeble Wobbles are kind of built yeah. like defensive yeah. linemen, though, I think. Bit. Not yeah. so much receiver. The right uh, defensive lineman. By the way, speaking of receivers, A.J. Green making national news with our Lisa Matthews on the fly and his comment about how, quote, I've never played with a guy like D-Hop before. The guy is unbelievable. He embraced me. We don't have egos. He's telling me, like, if you want to run around and I'm at that position, just let me know. 
So you have a guy like that, two guys like that in a room. It's going to be unbelievable, and we feed off each other. A.J. Green, so that's the latest from our A.J. Green NFL Comeback Player of the Year update desk. Yeah, that was a good good get by Lisa talking to him. And, and yeah, it, it was an interesting comment that DeAndre was doing that at practice. I think a lot of people from the outside see a, a clear demarcation from DeAndre Hopkins to A.J. Green, but he's saying we're two guys that have been superstars in this league, and I believe we can be this really good one-two punch on the outside. And he's saying if you like lining up here, go ahead and try it. So that was an eye-opener to me. Like he He's offering that and not just saying – I'm the alpha in this group. I'm the guy that's the all pro and going to be, and you're a step below me. He's paying homage to A.J. Green. Two guys from South Carolina, so you figure they they have that in common, right? The thing that, to me, on A.J. Green, and look, you guys know I'm as bullish on number 18 as anyone, but what's confounding on A.J. Green is I just don't know how to process the fact that he had 47 catches on 104 targets. Like, what happens there? You only had 47 receptions on over 100 targets. Now, I guess the rate of accuracy or a catchable ball percentage was the lowest in the NFL. That's what I'd have to see. Like, if he's got 104 targets and only 47 catches, but he has, like, one or two drops, then... Okay. I mean, if he had 10 drops, then I'm I'm concerned about that. But it's it's A.J. Green. He doesn't drop the ball. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I just don't... Yeah, I mean, I think quarterback is a legit question but also level of separation from the defensive back where it's obviously a lot harder to catch the ball if a guy is stuck to you like glue so I think that's that's the big question and that's why he didn't get the type of money that a player of AJ Green's stature would have gotten if he kept putting out seasons like he did in previous years so if he can bounce back and be that same guy and you can just chalk it up to the quarterback issues and inaccuracy then the Cardinals have found a, a real good value. But the fact that he didn't separate as well last season, uh, I think gives me a little bit pause where I'd like to see it happen in training camp and early in the season consistently. All right, I want you guys to tell me. I'll narrow it down. I'll let you. I'll give you a hint here. This is NFC West related. Who is responsible? List your right tackle. Who is, you know, who is responsible for this quote and who is this person talking about? Quote, bro, this dude's a bad MFR, end quote. That's Sean McVay on his quarterback, Matthew uh, Stafford, to uh, Sports Illustrated. And he went on to say, McVay on Stafford, quote, whatever people say about him, as good as it can be, he's even better than advertised. It makes sense to him. The guy's ability to see the game, his ability to draw on his experiences, the feel, it's all pretty special, et cetera. So, I mean – He's been bullish, really waxing poetic about Stafford all offseason. But, I mean, to go all Pulp Fiction with the bad mofo thing, <laughs> and, I mean, you know, at this point, you watch. and the, Prediction. In the Rams merchandise shop, they're going to sell Matthew Stafford wallets that say bad mofo on it, just like in Pulp Fiction and Samuel L. Jackson. You guys get that reference, don't you? Darren's so, looking at me. He's, so, he's oblivious. So is Matthew Stafford then Sean McVay's JoJo Ward this training <laughs> camp? Is that what you're saying? It goes beyond that goes beyond just breakout player at camp. If if he is a bad mamba jamba like he thinks, then it's trouble for the rest of the NFC West if their defense plays like they do. But we've seen Matthew Stafford a lot and his arm talent is unquestioned. But that offense was up and down in Detroit and you can say it was the people around him, but 
I think he had enough weapons. I mean, I, I, I'm not ready to say with a change of scenery, Matthew Stafford is all of a sudden a top five quarterback. I think that needs to be proven. If he gets there, the Rams are in great shape, but I'm not sure if Matthew Stafford is is that bad. Is Have the Cardinals faced Matthew Stafford more than any other quarterback who haven't played in the NFC West? Gotta Probably. be. Gotta be. I mean, trying to think. Other than, well, Cam Newton might have been up there. Dream Actually, name. Cam Newton probably is because he left Carolina. They seemingly play Carolina every year just like the Lions, but then they played him again this last year with New England. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Cam Newton uh, would probably, in terms of appearances and then also playoff games. Yeah, It reminded me of the preseason when we played the Broncos all the time. Remember Daryl Hackney? We saw him for like every year for like five years. <laughs> Matt Stafford is Daryl yeah. Hackney. By the way, Matthew Stafford is one of the uh, top five most popular bets for NFL MVP 2021. Once again, gentlemen, by September 9th, the NFL opener, this is all going to be a part of the fabric here in Arizona. So I thought you'd be intrigued to know that Sorry. the most popular bet, not the greatest odds, but the most oh, cash, okay. Okay. the most cash being wagered of any player for NFL MVP right now is, take a guess, because Matthew Stabbard is top five, for but he's MVP? not number one. For MVP, who is getting the most money bet on him right now? Tom Brady. No. Tom Brady's top five. Patrick Mahomes? Also top five, not number one. I wish I could have. Josh Allen this. is also top five, not number one. But Ooh. He Ryan was, Tannehill. He it's, was spotted. It's probably, it's probably Kyler. He was spotted courtside. No. He was spotted courtside at the game, or actually, it was. Uh, he was at the Padres Dodgers game in the front row last night. Oh, it wasn't Kyler. Baker Mayfield. Oh, Baker is he having the most money bet the on him most for MVP. Popular bet right now wow. for MVP. Maybe because his odds are a little greater. Yeah. Yeah. And people like the return potentially on wager i think the browns are going to regress as well the browns are getting a lot of play all off season and it's only picking up steam as having the most talented roster from number one to number 53 they you can tell they love analytics because their offense is just i was looking at the salary cap numbers for that story and they're <laughs> they're so weighted toward the offense it's ridiculous the amount of money they've spent on offense is crazy it's fair though that we circle back to the analytics and the metrics now yeah you know what if you're going to go with analytics again i'm, I'm going to reiterate my hot take the week six matchup cardinals at cleveland super bowl preview right there cardinals at browns I'll super bowl it. preview week six if, if it's i'll take a super bowl preview I, I will take any game that the cardinals are in if you tell me it's going to be a super bowl preview yeah. titans cardinals week one super bowl preview well, no, the, the Cardinals don't have a chance against the Titans because we already learned from Nate Burleson that the Titans' offense, best offense of all time could be the best offense of all time. So we obviously don't have you know a chance. Wrap it up. There's no chance. So, by the way, can I just say from the Titans' defense sucks update desk, you realize that the Titans' defense last year allowed 52% of a third-down conversion rate, which was dead last. And they rated 30th in allowing touchdowns in the red zone. Dude, if, the, if you're scoring so, 87 points a game on just, offense, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, they allowed touchdowns in like 69% of red zone possessions by the opponent. Hashtag not good. So uh, we'll see. You know, they drafted Caleb Farley in the first round. They drafted a corner out of UW in round three. They had a Janoris Jenkins. Otherwise, we'll get the, the they Titans had preview the worst enough. secondary in the NFL. So, uh, once again, take the over is what uh, Pauly <laughs> prognostication says in week one. Between the Titans' offense and their terrible secondary and defense and the Cardinals' new weapons on offense, 
this won't be a ramping up process of scoring points in week one, we say. There's our other hot take for you. So You love breaking down the Titans. Yeah. You really do. You guys are a little uncomfortable on talking about the Titans here in June. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll leave it there, I guess. Any Anything else? Uh, you know, how is the mailbag dynamic? Is is Are you going to let Kyle take over? When you go on yet another vacation this summer, Darren, how's that uh, going to yes, work? Yes, there will be probably at least one more Kyle appearance. Okay. okay. All right. Well, we'll get his Pythagorean paragraph theorem <laughs> or whatever the mailbag guy wanted. And uh, see if, that was great. Yeah, see if Kyle can get it right next time. On this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.